government, and he chooses Daniel and two others to watch out for his interest. In verse 3, it says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes. And because of this great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't really please those other two administrators and probably not a lot of the other princes. They began to search for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel is to be connected with the requirements of his religion. Now, many of his advisors, if you think about it, have probably been observing Daniel for years, maybe even for several kings. They know that Daniel is consistent in his worship and prayer, and they know that he's not likely to stop this consistency in the last half of his life. So, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's consistency and integrity were the right thing to do, but they did not protect him from injustice. Rather, the opposite actually made him a target. So the adversaries, they set the trap. They convinced Darius to make a 30-day law so that only the king may be worshipped during this time. And as expected, Daniel responds just the way he could be expected to. In verse 10, it says, When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials came and they found him praying and asking for God's help. So what do they do? They immediately go to King Darius and push him to enforce his law. And Darius is angry with himself for agreeing to this. And he seeks to find a way out for Daniel because he he values Daniel, but to no avail. There's no way out. The law must be followed. And so Daniel will be taken and put in the lion's den. So this was definitely going to be another one of those Psalm 50, 15 15 moments that I talked about a couple weeks ago. There's no person who can save him. Now, Daniel's enemies were counting on Daniel's consistent worship and prayer to trap him, and they were partially right. I think this ties in a little bit with what Dave Ferguson shared last week, this idea that people may recognize truth but not really be connected to the truth. In this case, uh, these adversaries of Daniel saw his consistency in prayer and worship as a burdensome requirement of his religion. One that they still, even though it was burdensome, they felt sure that he would, would do because he always had done so in the past. His consistency was not understood to be a joyful outpouring of his love to God. That's what it was, but they didn't see it as that because they didn't have that themselves, so they couldn't recognize exactly what, what it was. Now, the second ingredient I want to talk about is how Daniel's prayer and worship were connected to God's word. So Daniel had historical books, he had the law, he had some prophecy, and those were a part of what he studied. Going back to, as an example of this, going back to Daniel 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself with the food and wine given to them by the king, an earlier king, of course. So being convicted that eating these things would be wrong and also appealing to have an exception, you know, looking to have an exception to these rules um, that the king had made. 
Uh, no doubt he searched the scriptures to learn what was wrong or how he should live. And no doubt he asked God to help him to know what to do and to give him favor in his captor's eyes in this situation. A second um, example of this I want to touch on is in Daniel 4, um, we read about another dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, not the one that, that we talked about a couple weeks ago, but another one which is sometimes called the um, dream of the, the tree. And basically, what the dream foretold was so bad that Daniel, uh, it says he was overcome for a time, aghast at the meaning of the dream. He didn't even want to tell the king what it meant. It was so disturbing to him. But finally, he tells the king the, uh, the meaning, and then he ends with this. He says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, please listen to me. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past by being merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And we don't know the details of exactly what the king had been doing wrong, but I'm sure it was pretty bad. It's not hard to imagine that Daniel's being bold to tell the king to repent and his inclination that repentance might change what God was going to do in this situation, that those would have come from Daniel spending time in the law and seeing how God treated repentant people in the past. So could Daniel have had a heart for this king, even if this king was awful in many ways? I believe that Daniel genuinely wanted the king to be right with God because Daniel knew the character of God. Daniel overcame his fear of the king and spoke truth to the king. And when the word of God directs us, may we do the same. Final example of where the word influenced Daniel in his prayers is in Daniel 9. It's recorded, I, Daniel, was studying the writings of the prophets. I learned from the word of the Lord, as recorded by Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. And so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. Are we actively engaged in the word so that God can direct us like Daniel was? Now, some of you may have heard of George Mueller. I feel like I've brought him up before up here. Sorry if I'm the only one that ever mentions this guy. So he was known for a lot of orphanages that he established in England in uh, the mid to late 1800s. And in his autobiography, he discloses uh, a habit that he developed. He didn't have it in his early, uh, once he became a Christian, his early Christian walk, but something that developed over time. And I'm just going to read. He says, uh, the first thing I did after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon his precious word, was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get the blessing out of it. Not for the sake of the public ministry of the word, and not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be invariably this, that after a few minutes, my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving, or to intercession, or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately, more or less, into prayer. So from Mueller and Daniel, meditation on God's word leads to prayer. And the third ingredient, last ingredient I'm going to talk about this morning is that Daniel's prayer and worship were based on his own trust. They're based on trust. A couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at some of how Daniel trusted God and God was glorified in his trusting in places where he had to personally um, own something, a situation that he was in. There's something greater here than just his own or our own personal trusting in God in individual situations in our life. Uh, one idea that I've personally 
enjoyed learning more about recently, really having my eyes opened up to, is how we may trust God beyond, beyond our own personal experiences or even beyond what we can see in other people's circumstances. How we can trust him in his overall care and plan for, for people and his plan for justice and his own glorification over time. I've listed here um, three examples, and I think there's a common string through all their situations here. Of course, Daniel, we've been talking about, in the coming weeks, we'll be talking more about visions that he had. A lot of them he didn't understand um, initially. He just couldn't comprehend what God was communicating. But even in that lack of having that lack of understanding, he was confident that God was going to be faithful. He was going to be able to learn at least some of it. Now, Mordecai, Mordecai is in the book of Esther. Our life group has been going through Esther. We just kind of wrapped that up. Well, the whole story basically builds to this where there's a law made where all Jews are going to be in the kingdom are going to be able to be killed. And Mordecai and his niece, who happens to be the queen, are also Jewish. And he's imploring uh, his niece to go to the king to stop this from happening. And she's hesitant for some different reasons. And I'll just read this statement. He comes to Esther and he says, Do you think for a moment that you will escape there in the palace when all the other Jews are killed? If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives, you will die. So it's this idea that Mordecai could see beyond his own immediate, he didn't want to die, but he he could see beyond that even if I die, God is going to be faithful in the big picture. The last group that I put up there I call the chosen characters. So many of you um, over the last I guess a year or two might have seen some of the series. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically a kind of a modern interpretation of different people who interacted with Jesus and actually even building into that like other main biblical characters. They kind of get a little creative. There's things that they talk about in these individuals' lives that aren't actually in the Bible, but they kind of build their, these individuals' characters. And I feel like the, the, I don't know if it's the writing or the, produ- or the uh, directing or the acting, but I feel like for me, they really are able to exude this thing where, yes, I have my own personal interests, but I can see beyond myself that God is going to be faithful to his plans and to his promises. And so our prayers should also be built on trust so that we can trust our God to have worked in history and in our present and in the future. So I want to encourage you to make consistent times and find places where you can joyfully meditate and pray, as Daniel did. Daniel, if you remember, and he was a very, he was an incredibly busy and important man, yet he considered his schedule prioritized around his time with God and not the other way around. I also want to encourage you to make the Word a part of your times with God. And in a moment, we're going to do something that hopefully would be, if you're not familiar with it, might be something new, a way of making the Word a part of your prayers. And then also, I just want to encourage you during that time, of course, just be trusting that God's going to use that time. God is going to be at work faithfully around you. One last note, as you do those things, as Daniel did these things, I thought it was really interesting. There's this observation from Darius This particular verse, verse 20, is after Daniel spent the night in the lion's den, Darius comes to see what happened. He calls to Daniel, was your God, whom you worship continually, able to rescue you? And he actually says the same thing before he puts him in the lion's den, indicating that he has observed that Daniel worships continually. So I pray that we could also, people could observe that in our lives 
And I think if we try to include some of Daniel's ingredients, I think they will. And so what I'm going to ask now is, um, uh, I guess I'll give the instructions and then we'll do it. But um, I'm going to have everybody kind of break into like smaller little groups of like three or so, three to four, whatever you're, whatever you're comfortable, however you want to break down. We're going to pass out a little slip of uh, paper that has an attribute of God. The one I have says God is faithful. And so there are a lot of verses listed below that heading. And if you can read maybe three of them in your small little group and then pray, prayer might look like mine says, God is faithful. So the prayer could just be, thank you, God, that you're faithful, or whatever aspects of those verses you read might, might kind of expound on. Or it could, it could be that, and, and or it could be, God, I know you're faithful. Will you please show me how you're faithful in this situation that, that I'm aware of or this situation that I'm involved with? Or will you show somebody else how you're faithful? I'm going to count on God to lead you and what exactly that's going to look like. But that's the general idea. <laughs>